2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 18 are our verses this morning. Um, <clears throat> and like I said, if you are not here, we have been in an eight-part series in the book of 2 Timothy. <clears throat> the heading or title we're using for this series is Keep Calm and Carry On. You know, that's the famous phrase that so many people have marketed and changed. Saw a bumper sticker, uh, or a, some sign yesterday that said, Keep Calm and Kale On. Health food store. Everybody changes it, right? But um, if you weren't here last week, you should, you should listen to last week's message. It was an introduction in the first seven verses of the chapter. But the reason why we're calling this Keep Calm and Carry On, this series in the book of 2 Timothy, is really because of how that phrase originated. That phrase originated from a World War II British poster intended to boost morale and spur the British citizens on to keep fighting and continue on in the face of opposition during the Second War, Second World War. In a similar way, again, very different context and time, in 2 Timothy, we'll see that Paul is writing his final letter to Timothy while in prison, facing his own imminent death, charging young, timid, and fearful Timothy to carry on the gospel. What Paul, in essence, is telling Timothy is, Timothy, keep calm, but you need to carry on the gospel. And so we're, we're, uh, we're, we're calling it that. But this letter that Paul is writing to Timothy is not just intended for young Timothy. This charge in Paul's final exhortations and instructions are for all believers. These final words of Paul are for us. And full-time ministry or not, we too are called to be ambassadors. We're called to be salt and light. We're called to, be, to spread the good news, to carry on the gospel to the whole world. So this is for us. As we read it, insert your name where Timothy's name is. Maybe that might help you understand that this is for us. This past Sunday, we concentrated on Paul's first charge to Timothy which was stir up or fan into flames the gift of God inside of us. Paul started this letter by acknowledging the calling and the anointing Timothy had on him and how Timothy had to walk in that calling without fear, empowered by the Holy Spirit, exercising the gifts God had given him. But last week we too were challenged and charged. To not only discover what the gifts God had given us, but to actively be exercising the gifts and be an active participant in the body of Christ. All with the intention to give God glory and to build up or edify his church. Things got a little crazy, right? It was a little fun last week. Holy Spirit is falling on people, empowering them for the work of the ministry. It was awesome. It's good and it was right. This week, we continue on, finish offing, finish, excuse me, finishing off chapter 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. Why don't you read with me uh, these 10 verses, and then we'll get right into it. 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 18 says, Therefore, Paul, speaking to Timothy, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner." But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, 
but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. For I know that I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure that has been entrusted to you. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia has turned away from me. Among them are that guy and that guy. The the Lord grant mercy to the house of that other guy, for he often refreshed me. I'm not even going to try to say those names. Trust me, it's not going to be good. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him and find mercy from the day on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you, Lord, that it is like water to our soul. Thank you, God, that it is living and it's active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And that we can trust that it's God-breathed and God-inspired. And it's profitable for teaching, correction, reproof, and training in righteousness. Thank you that we can base our whole lives upon it. And thank you that in its pages we find you, Christ. We find Jesus in these pages. And God, we we pray that you would give us understanding this morning of what it is that you're trying to say in these verses. God, give us a healthy balance of what, what, what this means, what it meant to Timothy in this context, but also what it means for us today in our context. And we pray, Lord, that we would not only heed but that we would walk in these same charges. Specifically, Lord, that we would join in suffering, that we would guard the treasure that we've been entrusted, and that we would be unashamed of the gospel. Lord God, we really ask that in this short time we have, that Holy Spirit, that you would do great work that would last for all of eternity. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd have your way, you'd anoint this time. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in a nutshell, here's what Paul is doing. There's a lot going on. But what he's doing is he's charging Timothy, reminding him of the real reason why he can suffer well as well as bringing us into a little backstory of some of Paul's companions or co-workers in the ministry, um, and, import- and, and most importantly, why Timothy need not be ashamed. There's three points Paul makes, if you want to see them that way. They're, they're different, but they're connected. There's three points, they're different, but they're connected. One is Paul's charge to Timothy, join with me in suffering. Secondly, would be guard the treasure that you've been entrusted with. And third is don't be ashamed of the Lord, of your calling, 
or of me, the Lord's prisoners. Paul speaking of himself. I'm going to keep the two, the first two rather short and really concentrate on the third today, the idea of being unashamed. But first, Paul's charge to Timothy is to join or share in suffering. Now, if there was anyone that had expertise to speak about suffering, it was the Apostle Paul. And you've known that if you've read the New Testament. But he summarizes his own life and the ways in which he's been persecuted for the gospel's sake in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me just read this list. It's pretty incredible. Paul speaking, I more so have been in far more labors, in far more imprisonments. I've been beaten without number, times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and the day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, danger among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from these things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who says that? If there's anyone that would need counseling or therapy, it's the Apostle Paul. Just in danger all the time. There's nowhere he can go apart from persecution and suffering. But really, what Paul is doing is Paul is asking Timothy to enter into this. It's a rough request. You could ask me a lot of other things, Paul, but why this? And this isn't the last time in this letter that Paul will ask this of Timothy. In the next chapter, uh, I believe next week, we're going to study verse 3 of chapter 2. And Paul says, suffer hardship with me, Timothy, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. See, Paul wasn't asking Timothy to suffer for no good reason. He wasn't just saying, hey man, have an adventurous life with me. Let's just go suffer together. There was reason and there was purpose. And that reason was the gospel. Was for the furthering of the gospel. It's because there was still many more people that did not know the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul knew the job wasn't done. It had actually just begun. Timothy needed to carry on the torch. And for us this morning, the job is not done. The job isn't done. Jesus said he'd come back with every tongue, tribe, and nation. Knew the good news of Jesus Christ. When everyone had heard about the good news of Jesus Christ, then he'd come back. You know how many unreached people groups there still are in the world today? Mission. It's not done. It's only, well, it's actually, there's a lot of progress. It's far from just starting. It started 2,000 years ago with these guys. But Paul also knew that suffering went hand in hand with following Jesus. You, you, you can't strip them apart. If you want comfort, if you want freedom from suffering or persecution, you can't follow Jesus. This doesn't work. It doesn't compute. Suffering is to be a part of the norm when spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul understood that. The suffering was normal. Peter, in 1 Peter 4, said a similar thing. He said, Dear friends, don't be surprised 
at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. It's an amazing couple of verses. One commentator said, It is a great privilege to partake of the blessings of the gospel. But God has also ordained that we should not only have a part in these privileges, but that we should also be permitted to, cru- to suffer for Christ's sake. Whatever suffering is going to look like in SB. I don't, I don't know. It's not going to be this. But, but there will be, or there can be, some. And it might be very real to us. Or God may call you where there is incredible suffering, incredible persecution. I know that in this room, some of you guys are called to that. Let's join with Paul in the case of the gospel despite the cost. And let's not be surprised when suffering comes. Amen? That's what he's saying to Timothy. Timothy, don't run from the fight. Join the fight. That's what he's saying. Timothy, don't run. Everyone else is running. Everyone else is fleeing. They're scared. Timothy, don't run. Don't leave the fight. The second thing that Paul would tell Timothy here is he says, guard the treasure that has been entrusted to you. What is that treasure? The treasure is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the most important message ever told. It's greater than any disease and all the diseases put together. Because this cure is the cure for everlasting death. And the cure is everlasting life in the person of Jesus Christ. It's far better than any cure to any disease. We have in our possession the cure for sin. Restoring a broken relationship with the holy God. Timothy, guard this treasure with your life. Don't let anyone or anything take it from you. And in many ways, Paul is saying, Timothy, do not close your lips to share it. The way in which you can guard it is by spreading it, is by telling others so others know about this treasure so that they in turn can tell others this treasure. Amen? But how do we guard it? How do we guard this good news? Well, Paul says it to Timothy. He says in verse 13 of 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me. Retain the standard of sound words which you've heard from me. See, there was people back then, and there's, there's now, there's people, teachings, and outside influences that are intending to mar, strip down, change, or corrupt the truth of the gospel. It's all around us. Sometimes blatantly, sometimes very subtle. One commentator would say, it was Timothy's responsibility to preserve sound teaching from becoming corrupted through distortion, dilution, deletion, and addition. Heretical teaching was not only a possibility to Paul, it was a constant threat to be guarded against. And so church, 
how will we know what are sound words? How will we know when false teachings come? How will we know what sound is or what sound is not? What's biblically sound or is not biblically sound? Well, the only way is to know for ourselves what the Bible says and teaches. It's not, it's not good enough only to come to church and listen to some sermons or stream some podcasts. It requires us digging into the scriptures for ourselves and with our own eyes reading them and, 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 digging, them and digging into them and trying to understand them and praying through them. I mean, it takes real devotion and it takes time. But we are setting ourselves up for failure and we are setting ourselves up to Well, we're, we're setting ourselves up for, for, for things to come in to mar, dilute, distort, and strip the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul would, would reaffirm Timothy this over and over in more detail in, in chapter, chapter um, 4 of 2 Timothy. So just in a couple chapters of this same letter, Paul again says to Timothy, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and they will turn aside to myths. That happens, and that's happening even in our city. People are just going to try to find something that they want to hear. Well, I don't want to hear what the Bible has to say. Well, you're in danger of not getting the Bible then. Brothers and sisters, let us at all costs guard the treasure that is in us by retaining the standard of sound words. That means get in the word of God. Know the Bible. Don't just take it because we say it. Know it for yourself. Amen? And then the real theme... The, the meat, this main theme that Paul is trying to bring home to Timothy in this section of Scripture is this idea of do not be ashamed. He starts out with verse 8 by saying, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. And there's a couple of things that he's bringing up here. Timothy, don't be ashamed of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of the calling God has in your life. And don't be ashamed of me, Paul, his prisoner. Three times this comes up in ten verses. Why why does Paul mention this so many times? Why is this such a big deal? Right? Timothy's fearful. He's timid. Can't he just be ashamed sometimes? Isn't that kind of okay? Or I know it's not good, but why are you hitting it home so much, Paul? In order to... To really understand this, we need to look into Paul's world a little deeper. N.T. Wright gave us a little context of Paul's world. He says this. Paul's world had a highly developed set of codes for honor and shame. And everyone knew how they worked. There were all kinds of things that could bring shame on a person or a family or even a city. Many of them related to their visible status in relation to the power structures of the day. No surprise then for guessing where Paul came within these social scales. He was in prison. Paul knows that even his friends and colleagues may feel under pressure to distance themselves from him. 
and to be ashamed of him. Even Timothy may be tempted to give into this pressure. And this was happening. It was not a popular thing to have a friend of the same faith and belief of you in prison. And Paul, I mean, it's sad for these guys, but he points out specifically two guys that have abandoned him. The P guy and the H guy. <laughs> like, right, well, I'm not even going to try to say those names. He calls these two guys out by name, which I will not. He does. We don't have any other mention of these two. All we can gather here is that they were at one time or another either fellow workers or friends of Paul. And due to Paul's recent imprisonment, they had turned away from him. But in contrast, he specifically mentions that other guy, the O guy, as the one that was not ashamed of Paul. Specifically, at the end of our section today, it says that he did not care of being associated with Paul, paraphrasing, but he journeyed from afar to care for and encourage Paul. Paul's telling Timothy, don't be ashamed. And then he's using examples of others that have been ashamed. But still, what's, what's the big deal? Well, it becomes a big deal when we remember what Paul told Timothy last week. Paul's charge last week was do not be afraid or do not fear Timothy. But now it's do not be ashamed. And at first you might think, well, aren't they kind of the same things? In some way or another, in some form, what's the difference between fear and shame? I didn't know this answer, right? I'm just kind of, ah, it's just kind of the same. But uh, I called someone that did. I called a good friend of mine that's getting her doctorate in clinical psychology and said, tell me. Help me to understand what the connection is. Do you get shame from fear? Is it the other way around? Are they connected? Are they different? How does it work? Tell, tell me how it works on an emotional level. This is what she said. I may get some of it wrong. I'm not a doctor. She is. Um, But here's what she said. Fear and shame are very connected, but also they're very different. See, shame is actually the layer below fear. See, see, many times fear is a... We respond to something because we're fearful of it in a certain situation that may be brought on because the shame it will cause us, right? So a response to something because we're fearful might be, you know, people say the, the, what is it, fight, flight, or freeze, right? That's a response to a fearful situation. You might flight, you might run, you might freeze, or you might fight and be defensive. But what shame is, is shame is, is, is a layer below fear. See, You respond to something because you're fearful, but in many cases, that fear is brought on because of something shameful that might happen to you. See, shame at its root, you guys following? Shame at its root is fear of rejection from a person, a party, a relationship, or, 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 or a group of people. It's the fear of disconnect in a relationship. Shame is the fear of being rejected. 
And it's the fear of disconnect in a relationship. Here's an example. We don't share our faith to our coworkers because we fear that it may be offensive and our coworkers may treat us differently. Happens a lot, right? We're fearful to say something because there is a re- there's something might happen to me. And in some cases, we're fearful that those people or that person won't talk to us or uh, our relationship may change and they might just, it just might be really different. And what happens is, is that we can become ashamed to share our faith out of the fear of rejection from those people. You guys following? <clears throat> so, shame is caused by the fear of rejection in a relationship. But, but do you see how it's a cycle? Fear is caused by shame, which is caused by fear. You, you do or don't do something out of fear. And you become ashamed of something when you fear rejection by that person or party. When she was telling me this, I still didn't get it. So I was like, just tell me something. So this is, this is what helped me. Do you have this slide? Yeah. Fear of rejection causes shame, which causes fear of an action. That's kind of the back end. You're fearful of being rejected, and that in itself is shame. You're, you feel shame because you're rejected, which causes a fear of an action. You do or don't do something. Opposite. Sorry. Fear causes an action. Fight, flight, or freeze. I'm going to share my faith or I'm not going to share my faith. Which is, it's triggered because, you know, I'm not going to share my faith because I don't want to be shamed because I really don't want to be rejected. I'm just trying to get to the root of the problem. Are you with me? Okay, thank you. I'm a little lost myself. (laughs) Here's the salient point. Deep down... We all have a real fear of rejection. Doesn't matter who you are, we all have a fear of rejection. And we all want and are designed by God to be connected with each other. We, we're designed to have relational connection with God and with others. That's, that's the way we're designed. That's how we were made. And when we're disconnected from someone, we feel rejection. It's actually not how it's designed to be. And so there's pain that comes from that. There's shame that comes from that. There's rejection. There's, there's fear. And it affects the way we act. Okay. Out of the therapy session for a second. But, this, but that stuff's really good. But here's why this is so crucial and important for us to get. Because this idea of shame and what triggers shame and why shame triggers fear is it goes back to the garden, all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. I have it on the screen, and I want to read it for you, and I want you to just see what's happening. Genesis 3, 6 through 10. This is, this is the moment that Eve and Adam take the fruit and eat it and disobey God. The woman Eve was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and it looked and, the, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom which, uh, it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. 
So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees, and the Lord God called to them, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was, befra- I was afraid because I was naked. See, all was good in the garden, and shame did not exist until sin entered the world. There was no shame. This, this, that word shame and all that it meant did not exist. Sin disconnected Adam and Eve from God. And that disconnection caused shame. And that shame caused them fear, and fear enough to hide from God. Do you see that? Do you see the power of shame in the lives of Adam and Eve? Shame caused them to fear. Fear caused them to take action. That action was to hide themselves from God himself. We see that shame was the first thing that sin produced. So back to Timothy just for a second. Out of the garden, back to Timothy. For Timothy, this is real. The risk, excuse me, the risk of rejection is at his doorstep. Paul himself had been rejected by most everyone. If Timothy were to do what Paul was asking him to, which he is, there's almost a 100% chance that he would end up in Paul's exact spot. There's just, in society that day, this is what's going to happen, Timothy. You will be rejected by society. And you will have to fight shame. For us, excuse me. For, yeah, for us, the circumstances obviously will look extremely different. But being ashamed of Christ or his calling in our lives or, or, or being ashamed to share about him to others can be really real for us. Because for some of us, that may have ended a relationship because of our faith. And so there might be some genuine feelings there. This fear of rejection, fear of shame. And many of us, have that real genuine fear, or we've been rejected by others when it comes to sharing our faith. Or we've experienced rejection by others by doing so, which causes shame, and in turn, which causes us to act in fear. See, don't you see how damaging and paralyzing shame can be? Shame can keep your mouth shut. If you're too ashamed to share your faith because your fear of rejection, because you have a fear of rejection of what those other people might think, you just won't talk about it. But, 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 do you, but do you see what shame just did? Shame stopped the gospel from spreading. That's what Paul's case is. It's a big deal, Timothy. Timothy, the torch is yours. No one else is going to do this thing, Timothy. No one else is going to share with that people if you don't. Timothy, do not let shame imprison you. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, Timothy. Open your mouth and proclaim it. For us in this room, that's real. 
It, the stakes might not be as high. It might not be so dramatic. But, but the result is the same. See, if we all in this room are, 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 are so fearful of rejection by others, and we don't want to be ashamed, right? We don't, we, don't, we don't want to feel shame, which is rejection. And if that moves us into fear to not share and to not live for Christ in certain situations or not speak up at certain times, then do you see how incredibly detrimental that could be on a gospel level? Do you see that? But, but how could Paul do it then? This is, this is real stuff. Those are our real friends. Those are our real coworkers. We really love them. This is, the stakes are high. They were for Paul too. So Paul himself, so, so how can Paul himself say he's not ashamed and be okay in his present circumstances, right? He's been abandoned. If, you, if, if there's ever a time to feel abandoned, it would be him. Lonely. He's got it. He's been persecuted, he's in jail, and he is about to die. But in verse 12, he says, For this reason I I suffer these things, and I'm not ashamed. And he said this before in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for I know it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. You know what the reason was? The reason, Paul wasn't any supernatural human. He really wasn't. He was like you and I. God just used him incredibly. But the reason why Paul could be unashamed is because he knew he was adopted and accepted and was in Christ. See, See, the rejection of man did not faze him. He could care less if he was accepted by man or not because he knew he was fully accepted by God. It just didn't matter. And if we were, if we were out here looking at the, 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 the big scheme of things, it shouldn't matter for us either. Paul had such a grand view of Christ and he knew of his standing in Christ. He didn't care what man thought or did to him. And, and all that was no value and had no power over him. Paul just says, this is the gospel. This is what God did for us on the cross. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm going to tell everybody about it. I don't care about the consequences. That, that's Paul. In verses 9 and 10, I'm kind of jumping all around, but in verses 9 and 10 of our text this morning, Paul, uh, you know, kind of brings to light the foundation of his sufferings and his charge to Timothy by really just describing the gospel. He's just describing the gospel in light of these charges, in the middle of these instructions to Timothy. And he says, Christ has saved us, and he's called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which has granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. See, the reason why Paul could suffer well and why he wasn't ashamed is is because he had a grand view of who Christ was, excuse me, who Christ was and who he was in Christ. 
See, luckily, the story of Genesis 3 was not the end. Right? We'd be in big trouble if that was just the end and sin entered the world and we have to live with the effects of sin and we just have shame and fear in this world and there's really no hope. But we do have hope, amen? Because of what Jesus did on the cross. See, what Jesus did on the cross was he restored a broken relationship that was broken in the garden. And that fear and that shame and that separation was done away with when Jesus died on the cross. And when he rose again. See, rejection in the gospel is now replaced with acceptance. Shame is now replaced by love. There's no room for it anymore. God didn't God didn't make shame. God didn't intend shame. Rejection is now replaced with acceptance. Shame is now replaced by love. Let's just look at what Scripture tells us. We've only got a couple examples, but it's all throughout. We've been adopted as sons and daughters, Romans 8. Right? We've been accepted, we've been adopted, we've been brought near. We're no longer slaves, but we're sons and heirs to God. Galatians 4, 7. We've been reconciled to God through Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we have been brought near to Christ by his blood. Ephesians chapter 2. See, fear and shame are done away with at the cross. Fear and shame are done away with at the cross. So the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning is, do we have a grand view of the gospel in such a way that we walk in the truth of it? It's one thing to know, yes, I know I should be unashamed. And it's one thing to walk in those truths at work tomorrow and with your family and with your communities around us and say, you know what? I know who God is. I know what he did for me on the cross. I know what that makes me in Christ. I know my standing in Christ and my identity as Christ is I am accepted and I'm adored and I'm brought near. And so I don't need to care about what others think of me or how they accepted me because I know that I am fully accepted by God. I'm telling you, if we walk in those truths, in those ways, the gospel will spread like wildfire. I mean, think about it. And that doesn't mean that you can just, there's a way in which you should share the gospel, right, in love and in grace. It doesn't mean you just go, hey dude, right now, right? But can you imagine the effect that this would have if you literally, your life was free of shame and fear of rejection. Think about that. Think about that just on a personal level, let alone a gospel level. And that's what, that's what Paul's saying. Timothy, do not be ashamed because that is not the gospel. Jesus did away with that shame on the cross. Timothy, it's not, be, it's not, it's not about you being timid and fearful. You need not be ashamed because of what Jesus did on the cross. So walk in the calling that God's given you, Timothy. Church, our city needs this. 
The person that sits next to you needs this. Your family member that you've just been so fearful to talk about for 15 years needs this. Here's the deal. Worst case scenario, right? They stop talking. They don't want to talk about it. You can, you can repair that relationship. It's going to take time, but you can repair it. But how are they ever going to know about Jesus if you don't open your mouth? They're, that's not going to come. You can repair a relationship if you mess it up. You can't. God's good at that. He can help you through it. But the point is here is don't be ashamed of the gospel because there's so many people that need to hear it. If you struggle with fear and rejection and this fear of of shame in you at any level, know that it, it is not from God. But don't just sit on that and go, That was a good sermon because I know this truth now. Now what it's going to take is prayer asking God to free you from that bondage of fear of rejection and shame and all this junk. That's why the prayer team's here. That's why we have a second set of worship to allow time for you to be with Jesus. That's what the second set of worship is. It's not just something we do. It's for you to commune with Christ. Deal with that. Confront that. Ask the Lord to free you from those things. So church, let's be unashamed of the gospel as we proclaim Christ to a lost and dying world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. And thank you, Lord, that in you we need not be ashamed. That we need not fear rejection because in you we've been fully accepted. That we're fully loved and fully cared for and fully adored. That there no longer is disconnect. Now there's connection with you because What you did, Christ, was that you did away with the sin that separated us from God. Now you brought us near through your blood. We thank you, Lord, that you love us and care for us. We thank you, Lord, that you died to free us from shame and from fear. And Lord, we pray that we would be a people that are free of shame and free of fear when it comes to telling others about the good news of Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, that you'd give us courage and boldness. That you would just give us peace as we, as, we, as we share and testify and live our lives out in our workplaces, in our communities. And Lord, we know this is fear and shame and rejection. These are deep, deep, deep things. And many of us have been really hurt. And we really do have a fear of rejection because we have been rejected by so many people. We're praying for the Holy Spirit to come and supernaturally heal our hearts this morning. Would you do that work in our hearts this morning, God? One message isn't going to do that. The Holy Spirit's going to do that. Father God, would you meet us on a real deep level? That dark place. We ask that you bring your light. And you bring your acceptance. And you bring your love. Where there may be fear and shame. Holy Spirit, have your way with our hearts this morning.
pour yourself upon us. Pray that we would meet with you today. As always, guys, we have communion and the prayer team and just want to make sure that make the most of this time and you allow the Lord to minister to you.